Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, in today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Andrew Scholhoff. He's a realtor, real estate investor, and author. He authored the book, Look Before You Leap. It's an insider's guide on how to be profitable in real estate investing. We talk all things real estate investing, how to select a market to invest in, choosing the right property, and how to successfully invest outside of your local market. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, Andrew, I just want to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Thank you, Corey, for having me on. An honor. Hey, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, can you just start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're located, and what's keeping you busy these days? Okay. I am a licensed agent in BC since 1995. I've been helping investor clients since 94 buy investment properties across Canada and I'm 64 now. I'm also helping residential clients by here in Vancouver. And I now have my license in Edmonton for a year because I seem to do a lot of activity in Alberta. Yeah, I love living in here in Vancouver with the sunshine right now and by the ocean, born and raised here. So amazing. I'm an old guy too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Obviously, still got lots of drive and you're still going. What kind of stuff have you been doing in Edmonton? me to get your license well i was finding projects at one point in time where they had stalled in sales and i've been working with investors to help them create diversified portfolios of real estate where it's pretty well turnkey management in place tenants in place that type of thing so they're able to acquire decent quality owner occupier style real estate that could be rented out and helping them build a geographically diversified portfolio I just happen to be focused a lot in Alberta because Alberta to me is a free market. It actually moves up and down as the market dictates as opposed to being regulated. It's a fair market. So I just naturally gravitated towards Alberta and specifically Edmonton because it's a capital city. So I've been helping clients acquire real estate there for a number of years, as well as I've kind of taken my eyes off Atlantic Canada, thank God. That's done well because I was able to divest from there at a profit. And I think I've done business in every province in Canada, just none of the territories. Well, that's amazing. I've almost lived in every province. I don't know if that qualifies for anything, but <laughs> my dad was in the army. So oh, growing, there you up, go. growing up, we moved a lot. <laughs> Didn't spend any time in Cold Lake, did you? Oh, no, that's uh, no, I didn't know we weren't there. How did you get started? We could circle back maybe to your journey. And how did you actually get started in the investing side? Well, that's a funny story, which is something I put into my book as one of the impetus. My parents lost money in real estate when I was younger. Similarities in the market conditions and things like that here in Vancouver back in the late 70s, early 80s. The markets were just red hot. Everyone was buying real estate, getting tips from taxi drivers, that type of thing, right? And my dad jumped into a house in North Vancouver. Fantastic view at the height of the market. And then the interest rates went from what, 7% to 22%? Yeah. And couldn't hang on to the property, couldn't afford the mortgage payments, didn't have a plan on you know this situation. And of course, probably back then, the sort of the same thing here, oh, interest rates aren't going to go up. And then they shoot up, right? Very much a similarity to here. And as a young person, I wanted to know 
what the person that sold the house to my parents knew that my parents didn't know. As an analytic, started me going, what happened here? Why did it happen? Where was the signpost that my parents didn't see? And I started to realize that the market was hot. It was at the peak and the guy sold to take his money off the table. So that was one of the first mistakes. And the second one was I saw a house in Kelowna in the Mission District that was literally Lake, Sand, House, Street. And this was 1985, and it was selling for $150,000. And I went, wow. that is an insane deal. And I said, well, I don't have the money to put it down. And so I just put it on my brain. Had I asked a better question, how can I get the money to do this? We'd probably be talking, and I'd be somewhere on some island right now. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, I think it was worth $5 million or something like that now. Just like, holy. So that started me down that path. And then I actually went to a seminar in 93. It was, these guys were doing condo conversions. And I sat in the audience. The speaker, you know, asked, you know, are there any questions? And my hand went up and it kept him going up and kept him going up and kept him going up to the point where if I was him, I'd probably punch me out. It got me really interested. It got me intrigued because it was combining my sales background, my economics background, my math background, my accounting background. And this was all coming together and amalgamating. And so I was not trying to trip them up, but I was so freaking interested in how they did this and what pieces they had in place that I eventually joined the company. So oh, that's amazing. Yeah. From there, I haven't looked back. Wound up, you know, getting away from the developer side and becoming an independent broker and whatnot, because I really wanted to focus on who's looking out for the investor. Yeah, that's good. You said you were investing in Atlantic Canada. What province specifically? And then just kind of curious, what kind of investments were you doing? Well, I, we did a few. I invested in New Brunswick and PEI and Nova Scotia. And in PEI, I mean, most of the time I was buying investment condos in like close to the university or in decent areas, sometimes new, sometimes not. And we actually even did a 10-unit building joint venture in PEI. So Charlottetown, Moncton, Halifax, those areas. I was investing in because from my perspective, real estate is a lagging indicator. It's always a function of the economy. And there were certain underpinnings of the economy that led me to invest in the area because of the stability and the potential growth. You know, things were cash flowing. So, you know, the growth was kind of that bonus. I'm always looking at investments of, yeah, I want to build wealth, but I have to be able to hold on to that property, which means it has to be able to cash flow, sometimes negative cash flow or whatever, but it has to be enough that I can hold on to the property. Because if I'm if I'm bleeding out cash all the time, then that's a problem. Yeah. And you can't build wealth if you can't hold on to the property. Have multiple exit strategies, right? If you do need to offload it. That's one of my first things that I look at when I look at properties. What is at least one realistic exit strategy, but I like to have a couple. Yeah, for sure. And then what are some of the challenges? I mean, if you've been investing in various provinces, you're doing it mostly remotely, right? So how do you mitigate maybe some of the additional risk and how do you kind of have the confidence? For myself, I guess I'm just so used to just walking through properties and visually seeing them that like, how do you put your trust in other people and build those teams, I guess, that you need? 
Well, I mean, you've actually nailed it. It's building those teams. So physically, I had to go out to all of those provinces, first of all. I mean, everything looks good on paper, but if you're not walking the streets, walking the neighborhood, paper's not going to tell you that stuff. Really kind of got to get a feel for where it is you're investing because you're not buying a chocolate bar. You're going into debt for this thing. Well, at least I wanted to make sure that, you know, I had a better chance of winning than losing. So I would physically go out there and start meeting with people. Hopefully, I had some center of influence connection in that community, or else I would develop one over a course of time, in a way, kind of like how you and I, we spoke. We started to speak the same language. We have the same criteria in life. So you start to gravitate towards people that have the same kind of visions as yourself, both personally and business-wise, et cetera. That's really where it started, you know. I want to get a good lawyer. I want to have a renovation person if I need it or a repair person. I want to have good management. And, you know, I'll probably get chastised for this. Great management, that's a unicorn. Good management, you can deal with, right? And so what I started to really quickly learn is Bob's property management. I manage this property and that property, me and my wife. No, I will actually want professional local management. That's a really key piece for me now. I want a management company that has the infrastructure in place that I'm not going into voicemail hell. I mm-hmm. want to actually get to the people that need to do this stuff, but they have the infrastructure to be able to have the back end done and the responsiveness to deal with issues because there will be issues. There's always issues that they're local. So they have skin in the game. That to me is critically important. Property management can be your Achilles heel to this whole thing. So that's really key to me when I'm meeting with management, interviewing management. Plus I'll get referrals. I will painstakingly go through the process so that I can not eliminate risk, but at least mitigate. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, it's certainly well worth the investment, whatever that cost is for the flight and the hotel and to take that time to meet face to face and do your due diligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the negatives far outweigh that cost, right? That if you make a mistake. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, once you're getting more than one property under your belt as an investor, as long as you're being reasonable, you're incurring expenses to earn income. Not to own properties, but to earn income. And for me, I'm a buy and hold type person. So my goal is to buy and hold. So have the tenant pay off the mortgage, create a retirement income or augmented income to my business income. So I am willing to go spend that money and the time to go out there. Money is a renewable resource. Your time isn't. So if you're stressing over a property all the time, how is that working for you in life? I don't want to deal with that. So I don't want to manage my own properties. Even though I was managing broker and at that time you also had a designation as a property manager i don't have the personality type to deal with that even though i did manage properties here in vancouver for myself it was my least favorite thing to do you really have to align yourself with what you're passionate about and what kind of gives you energy isn't taking energy away right exactly i like to do what i do best and delegate the rest yeah me too (laughs) okay so let's chat about edmonton so it's been a few years and what were some of the indicators that made you look at Edmonton and want to start investing there? Alberta, to start with. <laughs> yeah. It's always had one of the largest GDPs of any province. I have to go macro down to micro, and I'll try and be as succinct and as quick as possible. So Alberta has no property transfer tax. 
Alberta has no provincial sales tax. Alberta has the youngest average age population of any province, excluding the territories. It has one of the highest disposable income per capita of any province. So that young demographic, what are they doing? They're buying houses. They've got jobs. They're contributing to the GDP, not drawing it away. Seniors tend to be drawing it away rather than contributing. So they're having babies, they're buying cars, they're buying houses, they're buying stuff, they're contributing to the economy. So I looked for things like that. It has been affordable. Like everybody's like Ontario, BC, Ontario, BC. That's all lifestyle stuff, but meat and potatoes, Alberta is strength. And everyone goes, oh, it's all about oil and gas. Well, that's what the headlines would like you to think, but it's not. Yes, there's oil and gas. We're not getting off oil and gas anytime soon. We don't have the capacity as a country, as a world, to get off of it that quickly. So it's not an either or, it's going to be an and for a long time. So therefore, Alberta, to me, has the strength. Our biggest Achilles heel was getting it to market. And it still is. We have one market. And they're our competitor now. So until we change that. Anyways, the point being is Alberta, to me, just made sense. It also has a free market when it comes to residential rental tenancy act it's not punitive to either side which to me is important because when the market tanks or goes down and rents vacancies increase because people are moving away the rents go down and when people start moving back the rents go up you're not starting from a disadvantaged point like oh now you can only raise your rents you know 1.5% from that now depressed value right you can raise it to whatever market bears. And there's a lot of money going into Alberta. So you've got the population, you've got the jobs, you've got the GDP. I mean, look at what, 184,000 in the last year just moved to Alberta. Yeah. That's not a change. Nailed it for sure. I was making some notes and I was going to mention, if you missed it, like the fair tenancy ruling quick and no rent controls, right? The only other one, obviously, and you know this, is the infrastructure, right? Is the amount yeah. of infrastructure that Alberta has, Edmonton and Calgary included. Yeah. And one of my leading indicators for Edmonton is Calgary. Calgary is always about 12 to 18 months ahead of Edmonton in their cycles. I invested in Calgary in 95 when everybody said I was an idiot, but the infrastructure was there. I understood what was going on. And it was before everything percolated and became mainstream. Calgary will always increase at higher, how do I put it? The real estate cycle is far greater in its amplitude of peaks and valleys than Edmonton. Edmonton's always a little slower, a little more muted. So I always look to Calgary, what's going on in Calgary, because that gives me an indicator of what potentially is going to happen in Edmonton. I like Edmonton because it's a capital city. It's an economic distribution hub. It's an international hub. So it has certain things that Calgary doesn't have, and Calgary has certain things that Edmonton doesn't have. So they're actually really complementary cities. And then you got Red Deer right in the middle taking advantage of both. Yeah, yeah. I think that's some great insight and tips you're providing about the lead leg between Calgary and Edmonton. Obviously, I think most people know Calgary is just on fire right now with inventory being as low as it is. What kind of stuff are you seeing in Edmonton market for investors that are looking to buy? Well, I'm always looking at months of supply, and Edmonton is finally starting to drop. So Till probably, I'm going to say maybe May, June, if you saw the drops in values incrementally getting smaller as interest rates were increasing, and that had more to do with 
people still didn't believe Alberta was going to be the strength. And so people were moving out. But now we, I mean, we've seen a lot of migration. I think it's nine quarters in a row now that we're seeing migration, but they had built a lot of product over the years. And there's a lot of old two and a half story walk-ups and things like that. And there's a massive gentrification going on in Edmonton. The ice district is just crazy. And I was there and we were, quote, in a recession and every bar, every restaurant was full. I was probably one of the oldest people at one of the Oilers games. It was all young. I was blown away with how things have changed and how Calgary's doing the same sort of scenario. So what I'm seeing now is prices are not dropping like they were. And it's one of the things I focus on is investors want this turnkey thing. So I've been focusing on REO foreclosures. In other words, bank-owned foreclosures. I don't want to deal with judicial sales. I'm looking for those value investing because nothing really massively cash flows with today's interest rates. So I'm looking for where we can get properties that are going to come close to break-even cash flow, maybe positive cash flow, but you know, within 100 bucks a month, today's interest rate. What kind of down payment off to cash flow or get close to it are you seeing? Whenever I do my performance, I'm doing 25% down. I'm old school. That's what I've put down on every one of my properties ever since I started. I know you can put 20% down, but I do 30-year AMS. But I'm looking at, you know, condos built in the mid-2000s, you know, 2010, 11, 13, 2006, you know, 200 grand. So you're putting down 50 grand. And after all expenses in today's rates, you may be carrying that property a little bit. But the value is there because you look at what they're assessed, what the comparable markets are. And because you're buying them in foreclosure and the banks or the vendors, sometimes I'm able to find these deals below market. I'll give you an example. I did one with a client in Edmonton, 2014, owner-occupier quality. This isn't rental stock. This is owner-occupier stock. Two-bedroom, you know, California split, so the bedrooms are separated zero hallways in the unit so maximum living space patio fourth floor unit nine foot ceilings granite countertops stainless steel appliances blah blah usual stuff right yep nice That's the building now it was listed for 180 we got it for 165 and the suite next door literally next door exact same size was listed for 209,000 wow you know so what i'm looking for is buying product that you can't replace with today's cost of building. So you're buying undervalued. So you're value investing with the intent of growth and income. Yeah, yeah. And then how hard is it to find a bank owned foreclosure? And I mean, we know that things are changing, cost of living is going up, possibly could be more coming on the market, right? With people struggling. Yeah, what I'm finding right now is it's really tough. So February, April, May, June, that type of thing, you had a little bit of time, you had more product, but if it comes on MLS, you have to act like that day or it's gone. Yeah, You're going pending. Anything good is either going sold or pending, I'm going to say within 72 hours. Yeah, yeah. So I've been telling my clients, like, get yourself pre-qualified because if we have to pull the trigger, we have to pull it and we have to pull it quickly. Yeah, you can't be in this type of market without being pre-qualified. Exactly. Some realtors are requiring a letter from the mortgage broker as well. To look at the well, offer? I haven't quite done that yet, but they're interested. I say, are you pre-qualified? No. Hey, well, then you either do this and we'll talk, but I will not even start a contract because all I'm doing is wasting their time, my time, and my reputation with the other realtor. Yeah. 
So it's not for the faint heart because you still have to build in your conditions. I will not go unconditional on these type of things because it's as is where it is, right? And so yeah. you, know, you might get a half a dozen pictures, but it doesn't tell you the whole thing. So again, I have to be looking out for my clients. I have a fiduciary duty to make sure that they're not buying somebody else's problem. Yeah, yeah there's definitely inherent risk. Unfortunately, Calgary has gotten to the, you know, many deals have to go to unconditional to get it done. And it's the unfortunate reality of the market we're in and really low inventory, right? Yeah. They are taking a risk. Yeah, there's a risk, inherent risk. Yeah. Getting... Well, I mean, I hate to say it, but if I was a, an unscrupulous owner, I'd be loading my stuff up now if, if I've got a cracked foundation or whatever else. That's the problem that people run the risk of. So we've done in Vancouver's, we will actually do pre-inspection if we have that ability. Before even writing the contract, you'll bring your inspector with you to kind of look at it at the same time. So yep. we've had to look at adapt to the market conditions because, yeah, there are some unscrupulous people out there. I'm sorry yep. to say. I agree. In Edmonton, so for anybody that has, you know, a rental property, what's the vacancy rate and typical rental profile that you're finding? Well, okay. So the vacancy rate is dropping dramatically. To the point there's no incentives anymore. There's no rent incentives. So I bet you we're probably sub 3%. But what's skewing that is these two and a half story walk-ups built in the 60s, early 70s. You'll have a frigid stove. You may have a dishwasher, you may not. You have common laundry. You know, there's a lot of old product because there's not a whole lot of new rental stock built. And so those rents are going to be down in the seven, eight, nine hundred dollars a month for maybe a two bedroom, right? But then the clientele that I'm finding are the younger professionals that are don't want to buy, but they want in-suite laundry, they want granite countertops, they want underground parking, they want all of this. And so now you're in a market where you're, you know, I'm gonna say fourteen to fifteen hundred to 1800 1900 for a decent condo in a decent area. I mean, if you start going into downtown, like in the ice district, now you're into 2000 plus yeah. easily, easily. So that's where Calgary is certainly less affordable than Edmonton, right? Like here on average, a two bed, two bath condo is about 2200. Just like, yeah. and then obviously it goes up and slightly down from there. Yeah. You can get a basement suite from anywhere from 14 to 1800, depending on the condition. And then rental rates have jumped almost 20%. I think the number was 17% like year over year. So it's yeah. pretty significant, right? And so our cost, even though we are more affordable, say, than Vancouver, Toronto, for people that are here, it's starting to become less affordable. Yeah. The only thing is, is you have the ability as the market continues to grow that you can move the rents as to what market can bear. The interesting thing that you guys have now is you're actually repurposing some of your downtown offices, which is what Edmonton did several years ago. So that's where they were slightly ahead when you had the NDP in. There was money being spent in Edmonton by the government, right? So they were rewarded in that situation, whereas I think Calgary's kind of left out in the cold a little bit, so to speak. You guys are doing it now. And I think, you know, that's prime real estate, your downtown core. And I think it's high time that that was repurposed and i think that that's only going to help your guy's situation yeah it's going to be really helpful to repurpose that you know vacant yeah. commercial buildings yeah. yeah and the city is also giving grants i think like up to 10 million per building to go towards you know repurposing them right to a developer yeah we had a building it was bc hydro building on berard and smythe i think it was and they did that it was done i'm going to say in the early 80s 
yeah, they repurposed it to condos and strata titled offices and it's still going strong. So it works, I guess is the best way of saying it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can't believe how much Calgary's grown. I remember your first ring road and that was the outer edges countrywide or country hills or oh, country hill. that's true yeah yeah and now you got ring roads outside the ring road yeah no that's true it has certainly expanded now a lot of the new development is on the outside of that ring road uh, yeah. through you know different areas of calgary right yeah. different quadrants yeah it's certainly expanded a lot since i've been here you guys are also expanding your lrt too i understand that's right yeah we're getting a green line cutting through kind of going north south kind of more on the east side but into downtown and those are things I look for. I look for that change that's happening. And I don't want to buy on the line, but I want to buy within a kilometer of a station. Yeah. My current house, I can walk to the train station within probably seven minutes. And I love it. I love being that close, right? Yeah. So you don't have to be in the downtown, but you can be there like that. Um, yeah. And there's money to be made there as an investor. When you start hearing about a new line, then you start to try and figure out where those stations are start buying up we saw that as well with the communities with the ring road because once the ring road came around and you know some of those communities were difficult to get in and out of once the ring road was connected especially on the southwest side we saw a lift in those communities so those values going up yeah cool yeah if you had someone new investor reach out to you what advice would you give them just starting out well the funny thing is is i always suggest figuring out their why what are they trying to do what are you good at what are you not good at what do you want to do what don't you want to do what are your ultimate objectives? What's your timeline? I teach investment real estate to residential realtors here in Vancouver. And I'm a strong believer in the success of the investment has more to do with the investor than the investment. And it comes down to really the key is expectations. What are people trying to do with that thing? So my first advice is get clear about what it is you're trying to do as an investor. Because, yeah, I want to own a bunch of properties. Yeah, so what? Why, right? Because most of the time it's coming into quality of life because that can determine how you're going to invest and what you're going to invest in. You know, this whole thing around, I got to own 100 doors. Who cares? You know, is it going to kill you <laughs> on the road to getting those 100 doors? Maybe you're better off with 10 doors that actually work towards your goal so it's not about accumulation it's about what's going to help you meet your objectives i know that's not probably the, the answer that you'd probably expect but to me it's all about your why and what you're trying to actually accomplish yeah that's really good advice would you recommend someone trying to invest out their back door or if they were going to do their first investment somewhere else obviously you have to have the mentorship and you have to have a team around you i feel like there's just too much risk you know and it also depends on how much knowledge you are bringing to the table as well, right? Right. So if you don't have a lot and you're really risk averse, maybe something on the newer side that doesn't need renovations or any sort of lift is the best product, right? Well, yeah. I mean, again, how involved are you going to be? If you've got a job and a family that takes up all of your life and you've got you know a couple hours here every week, well, is that going to service that investment properly? So again, it comes back down to what are your capabilities? You know, for a lot of investors to start out, I recommend grabbing something that's pretty turnkey just to get your feet wet. Others will say, no, no, I want to jump in. You know, I want to do a burr or, you know, fix and flip or whatever they want to do. I want to do joint ventures. Well, those are big undertakings. There's a lot of variables in there. So if you're just starting out, 
and you don't have the time, getting a turnkey property makes sense. Now, where does it make sense? Will it cash flow? Just because you live there doesn't mean it's the best place to invest. And just because you know everybody's buying there, is that mean that it's the right time to buy? Are you and you know 10,000 other fishing people fishing in the same fishing hole? Or do you go out to a blue ocean area where there's less competition, where you're not overpaying? I mean, you see your situation in Calgary right now, you've got multiple offers over asking. So it's this FOMO thing going on, which is very challenging and people get hurt. So are you speculating or are you investing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd rather fish where I'm not elbow to elbow with everybody else. I've salmon fished in Chilliwack. I think it's on the Vetter River. And I've also done the ocean fishing where you go out in the bay in Vancouver. It was like shoulder to shoulder on the yeah. Chilliwack River. And I'm like, this is terrible. Yeah, your analogy is perfect for where you are because I've, I've experienced both. Equated to this. So I invest in, I have mutual funds and it's got Coca-Cola and it's got GM. I'm just picking random things. Do you physically go down and inspect those plants to make sure they're operating and discuss with the management? No, you rely on management. You rely on their professional ability to deliver. You've got track record and things like that. So I don't have a problem investing outside of my area at all. I really never did. As long as I had the professionals in the place to take care of that business, right? Investing in a gold mine stock or anything like that, you're relying on those professionals. Like, do you go into the bank and count your cash to make sure they still got it? No, there's certain things that you have to delegate out. And so that's why I look to those markets where the real estate cycle and the information is providing me the right trajectory that I'm looking for. Yeah, that's great information. I got a question that I just thought of this one, and I get asked this a fair bit, and I'm just kind of curious your take on it. So we know that about 20% of mortgages are on variable rate right now. And, you know, over the next, say, 12 to 24 months, those are coming up for renewal. Some of them probably aren't going to be able to requalify without doing some sort of refinancing. Mm -hmm. And with the interest rate environment we're in, do you see anything that's going to, like, reduce the pressure that we're currently under? I know we don't have, we, you yeah. don't have a crystal ball. I don't no. either. I, so I always try to, like, carefully answer this one myself. So first of all, do I see the interest rates potentially going up or down? The answer is yes. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> so, I mean, we're never going to curtail inflation unless we stop printing money. And if they're relying on the inflation rate to dictate whether or not they're going to lower prime interest rates, Who's making that ultimate decision? Are we going to rip up the bandage and you know shoot up to double digits and kill the economy for a while and then start again? Or are we just going to keep this incremental bleeding going on? I don't know. What I have seen, though, in the past was every time there's a U.S. election, typically in that cycle, the interest rates are at their lowest point of that cycle. So the incumbent gets voted back in. Yep. Whether or not that's going to be the same case this time, I don't know. I used to look at the index chart, and that was kind of the cycle that always happened. They're going to have to do something. Don't know what that is. They may not reduce the rates. They may extend the amortization. We know they're doing that on the variable rates already. Yeah. But even fixed, they may go back out to 40 years like they used to. They may go out to you know, intergenerational mortgages like they're mm. talking about. I think anything and everything is on the table right now 
because it, it ties into the affordability. It ties into, you know, immigration. It ties into there's there's so many variables that are affecting it. It's not just a case of supply and demand and we're going to make it affordable. Therefore, we can, you know, lower the prices. I mean, if they jack their interest rates up to 22 percent, housing's going to get affordable because there's going to be blood on the streets. Yeah. Can't see them taking that you know, position anyway, or doing that. No, it's a dangerous position, no matter how you slice it. We saw that decimated the economy back in the early 80s. It took decades to recover. Yeah, the pressure from immigration as well, right? When that many people are immigrating to Canada and want to immigrate to Canada, and then we have a delay in building, you know, new product, that kind of thing. It's hard to see that going away. Personally, I kind of hope that we just see things just cool a little, that this frenzy that we're in, just closer to balance would be amazing. In my opinion, but you know, I don't know if that's going to happen. The only thing I would say is Canada is a big country. There's a lot of land. Yeah, most of I think ninety percent of our population or something like that's within a hundred miles of the border. Well, we got yeah. you know we got a lot of land up there. Yeah, and I know this is kind of off topic, but kind of still within the same. We've got to think of all the variables that are going to affect the interest rate. What is affecting the interest rate and what is affecting the housing as well at the same time? So it is population. You know, it's printing money. It's a whole pile of things. It's not a simple, we'll build more houses and, you know, things will become affordable and therefore, you know, our interest rates can be reduced. Well, no, it's a very complicated issue. I was at a conference with some economists and for the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. And yeah, it's not simple. I agree. And nobody has that crystal ball to get it exactly right as to how it's going to what's going to happen in the future, right? Yeah, I wish I could say it's going to be this, but yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed the chat. And now I just want to dive into a little bit of your book before we get closer to the end here. But okay. so you wrote a book, "Look Before You Leap," right? That's right it, there. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Okay. So what inspired you to write the book? Life lessons, I guess. It's twenty-seven years of my real estate investing, and it isn't okay. Do these steps and you'll have this. It's really more of a resource book. And it really starts off, so you wanna invest in real estate, why? So it goes back to that initial, what are you trying to accomplish? It goes into things like attracting tenants, property management, understanding real estate cycles, which to me is one of the absolutely most important things, bar none, is understanding what drives a real estate cycle, how does it work, and how you can take advantage of it. I mean, the old adage of location, 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 I don't think that's the most important. And even Ozzy Jurok, one of my mentors, wrote a book called Forget About Location, Location, Location. It's timing, timing, timing. Not that you're gonna pinpoint it, but it's understanding the real estate cycle. It is probably the most important thing that I learned. It all comes down to due diligence. This book is really a due diligence book. What to look for, how to increase your curb appeal on a residential property, what to look for when it comes to buying and investing in condominiums, how to be a contrary investor. In other words, that's kind of what I've been doing. When everyone's fishing over there, I'm over here. Why? Because certain fundamentals that I'm paying attention to, not the noise on the street, right? Yeah. Uh, so you know Keaton Kirk, what he read it to, and he likes it from the fact that, oh, I want to look at this idea. Maybe I'll look at the book and see what it says about that. Not that it's the end-all, be-all, but it, it's thought provokers, provides information, sometimes looking back in history and sometimes what's going on today. And, and sometimes it's very generic, but you know, checklists and things to do. 
I even wrote about the Smith maneuver in the book because I did it years ago, not knowing that it's the system now that is fantastic for converting my principal residential mortgage from non-deductible to deductible by doing a few things. So yeah, it's just my lessons learned. In the book, you also share like some mistakes that you've made in your journey, right? People yep. can learn from them. Yep. And then there's a framework for taking action. So can you maybe just kind of explain that from like a very high level? It's funny. I gave one of my clients a little booklet today. It's getting clear about where are you trying to go? So once you've kind of got that in and what you're trying to accomplish over a period of time, then it's putting the pieces in place. So it's the strategies and then the tactics. Who's going to be involved in your business? How is it going to be set up? Whether it's in a personal name or a corporation, which is whole question into itself. Where are you starting? And to me, in a lot of cases, it's crawl, walk, run, because you don't know what you don't know until you know it, right? And so part of it is looking at those next steps and how that working and then reassessing, reevaluating and making adjustments as you go along. If you think you're going to do a perfect out of the gate, no, 30 years or 31 years or whatever is investing, I've made tons of mistakes, but it's not to repeat those mistakes. What did I miss that I could have caught now? And sometimes you can't. Sometimes stuff just happens and you just, you got to roll with it. So is it a specific framework? To me, it starts with you and then it's your objectives. And I kind of look at it this way. You go for the 10-year vision. Then you have like maybe three years of intentions. And then I break it down to annual. I don't like using the word goal because we get what we intend. We don't get what we dream about is when we have an intention, there's a choice. We have the results. I'm going to try and lift my arm or I'm going to lift my arm. Lifting my arm is an intention. It's done. I don't have to think about it, right? So kind of personal development stuff, but I reverse engineer down to what actions am I taking this week to help me with this quarter to get towards the goal of this year and my three-year intentions to get my 10-year vision and re-looking at it on a constant basis and ask questions. <laughs> Ask a better question, get a better answer every time. Yeah. I mean, really, that's kind of the way I've operated. I should add one more thing. Get somebody that's already gone down the path you've gone down. Get several mentors because they may have different perspectives. I reached out to Aussie Jerk tons of times. Don Campbell was another one from Rain. Alan Jai. I have a bookcase of real estate investing books. I learn, I read, I go on webinars, I go on seminars. Because there's stuff I don't know. And anything that I can do to improve my effectiveness and efficiency, I'm going to do. We all only have 24 hours in a day. So it's how I'm using those hours. And I don't want it to be all about real estate investing. I have a wife. We have a place in Maui. We're buying in Mexico. I have a dog. I like music, going to concerts. So I have life outside of real estate investing. And I, investing is a means to enjoy my life. That's my why. Yeah, that's awesome. And I feel the same way. You have to have a life outside of this stuff, right? You just can't, you know, pursue other things. He who has the most toys still dies. 100%. And then uh, one other part I just want to touch on in the book, you talk about how real estate can insulate you from inflation. Maybe can you just explain that just from a very high level. People are going to have to yeah. get the book to dive into it, I know. Okay, well, if you look at the M2, which is the money supply, and you look at real estate values, you'll see that they're almost identical graphs. So real estate is just keeping pace with inflation. So as they print money, inflation happens. So real estate is a hedge against inflation because it's a hard asset. People need a place to live. 
They don't need a luxury. They don't need a car, but they need food, clothing, shelter. So real estate is that one of three basic human needs. As we have population growth, you're always going to have demand. And if we don't have the supply keeping up with demand, values are going to increase. So real estate has always, to a degree, kept pace with inflation on average. You're going to have ups and downs when you go into the micro of it, like one year to another. But at a grand scale, it's always going to keep pace with inflation. Whenever I'm doing a performa, I only look at 3% per annum appreciation, knowing very well that it might go down 6%, up 11%, you know, whatever. But the typical, if it does 3% per annum on average over a 25-year period, that's going to quadruple in value. Calgary, I think that ours is 3% over 75 years. Obviously, like just like you said, there's yeah. going to be ours where it goes up, it's pulled back. But if you took that trend and just took the average, I believe it works out to around that 3% yeah. over 75 years. Yeah. And if it does better, ooh, you're wrong. Oh my God, you're even better than you would. So I love a real estate for me, even if it didn't increase a dime and I'm an investor, and I have a tenant paying it off. In 25 years, that tenant's taken, let's say I bought a property for 200,000, put 50 grand down, right? Even if I'm wrong and it doesn't appreciate one penny, the virtue of that tenant paying off my mortgage in 25 years is a 6% return on my investment per annum. Yeah, That's not bad. Now, if I have positive cash flow, that's even better. And if I have appreciation, that's even better. Real estate to me is kind of a blue chip investing when I buy for income, appreciation, and mortgage pay down where the appreciation i got it kudos to thomas buyer who's another friend of mine who basically pulled a, this statement out that's a full meal deal cash flow is an appetizer mortgage principal pay down is your main meal and your appreciation is your dessert <laughs> and it's really true because you can't really control the appreciation other than some forced appreciation but you're just riding the wave but your mortgage being paid down is meat and potatoes and people forget that and the cash flow will get better as time goes on, but typically when you start, it isn't. So I believe in owning investment real estate as a hedge against inflation, but I don't necessarily say put all your eggs in the real estate market because life happens and we we don't always know what's going to happen. So hedging your bets a little bit. Diversifying. Yeah. What was the four pillars? Cash, equities, insurance, and real estate. Those were the four pillars of financial freedom I learned decades ago. And I've kind of kept that going. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, we're really close to the end. I'm yeah. going to hit you with a few more personal questions. You did kind of share a few things, but what do you like doing outside of real estate in the investing world? Can we touch on that again? I love attempting to surf. Nice. <laughs> attempting. <laughs> My wife is better than I am. We have a place in Maui, so we tend to go there quite often at least once a year. I love traveling. I'm a nut for music. Not a professional musician. I like playing for the hobby of it, but I'm definitely somebody that likes to go to concerts and see amazing music because it just soothes the soul for me. Yep. But, you know, snowboarding and, you know, hanging out at the beach. I love warm weather. As I'm older, the winters are kind of less... The shine's going off of... Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so... We're looking in Mexico, too, because I love it down there. Awesome. Have you been to Costa Rica? Yep. Funny enough, I volunteered with the Rural Vision teaching English down there. Oh. And, and that was a life-changing experience. So I went down there for two weeks, didn't know Spanish, they didn't know English, and I was given a curriculum, and away you go. It was fun. Yeah, was yeah. Fun. That would be. So, yeah, I know I love travel. I have 
lot of places on my bucket list, but I love traveling. My wife's Filipino, so I love the Philippines. I just don't like the time change. I can't do my business yeah. 15 hours ahead of us. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, how about a favorite book or movie? Ooh, you stumped me there. I, I didn't even think. That's there's, okay. There's been a ton of movies, a ton of books. How about Look Before You Leap? <laughs> uh, well, that's, you know, that's <laughs> another plug for your book. <laughs> Actually, you know, one of my favorite books is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich or James Allen's As a Man Thinketh. Those are classics. It's an inner world game. And I used to read that Napoleon Hill book every year for probably 10 years every year. And every time I read it, I got something new out of it. But As a Man Thinketh was probably one of the first personal development books I ever read. And it's only like 60 pages. I used to read it on the bus going to work. Anyways. Repetition is good. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I feel like you shared a ton of information and value for listeners. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? They can go to my website, and it's a long one, strategicinvestmentrealestate.com. There's a link there to contact me. There's a toll-free number to contact me, or they can reach out to me on my cell. I'll give you my cell if you want it. It's 604-889-1760. Awesome. Well, and there'll be links in the show notes as well. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. Corey, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Hopefully, I've shared a little tidbits about what can help others. That's, oh, that's yeah. my biggest charge is seeing the light bulb go on for others. That is the stuff that gets me doing the happy dance. So Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.